Welcome to The Lighter Side of Dark, Season 4. Two of the world's greatest podcasters could not make it this evening. Instead, here are your hosts, Solio and Smith. everybody to the lighter side of dark i'm smith and i am solio um today's going to be uh today's episode is going to be a little different especially segment number one um because uh both paul and i are very sad today um we lost someone who actually had been on our podcast uh mark burgess 27 year friend for me and a little over 10 years i've known him for over 10 years with with paul and he was nice enough to come on our podcast last summer and talk a little bit about travel and so on and so forth. Um, but the reason for the sadness is we all lose people. Paul and his family have suffered uh, uh, loss recently of, uh, I believe it was your wife's grandfather who had passed. Both. And also her father who passed uh, around this time last year, mm-hmm. around Father's Day, of, of covid well, sadly, um, it's reared its ugly head again because uh, Mark passed away yesterday morning, August 4th, around 11.30 a.m., from complications from COVID. And his complications were self-inflicted, kind of in a way. Procrastination, ignorance. Yeah, and, and we're going to... We, we may catch some flack from some of our listeners. We're going to visit the mailbag this week and catch some other flack from some of our listeners. We may catch some today. People will say, you shouldn't speak ill of the dead. And we're not... I don't believe that we're speaking ill of the dead. We're we're offering our opinions. And if Mark was sitting across the desk from me right now, I'd be saying these things to his face. I don't talk behind people's backs. But he uh, was diagnosed with COVID a little, little over... A little less than two weeks ago. At which point... He said to me on the phone, right after he told me that he had it, he said, well, you know, I mean, I feel like crap, but I'm not going to die from it. And I will always have that in the back of my mind. Because actually he did die from it. And he died not only from COVID, but a, a, I guess... He was an anti-vaxxer. Let's just come right out and say it. Yeah. He was an anti-vaxxer. Sure. Didn't, uh, didn't believe, uh, worshipped at the altar of Jenny McCarthy. And he was probably, and again, for those listening to the podcast who know, who know Mark and, or knew Mark and know me, know that he was like a brother to me. Uh, closer, I would say, to me than my own yeah. uh, biological he was, brother. He was family, absolutely. We spoke every day. Yeah. We spoke every single day. I can't say that with my brother. I can't say that with most of my friends. Hell, you and I don't even talk every no, day. No, you, you guys were we, as we, close as we, we spend enough time together, we don't have to talk <laughs> right, We day. see each other in person once right. a week. Right. Um, but he, instead of going to his primary care physician and getting asking for treatments, whether it's uh, hydroxychloroquine, remdesivir, because you can get hydroxychloroquine with a prescription. In most countries around the world, it's kind of over-the-counter used mm-hmm. to treat and, and, and take care of a lot of uh, viral diseases. But he didn't. He chose to 
continue to go the holistic way and uh, I'll use the term witch doctor and uh, get supplements and vitamins and stuff that after the fact really doesn't help right. he progressively kept getting worse each day was worse than the day before there was no improvement he should have gone to the hospital the second day yeah I'm not saying that when someone is diagnosed with COVID, they should rush to the hospital. Hospitals are overrun right now, much like they were during the onset of the pandemic. So I'm not suggesting that. But if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. You're struggling to breathe, which he was. He had what he referred to as Tourette's cough, where these coughs would just come out of nowhere. He couldn't control them. He couldn't suppress them. Mm. And he kept progressively getting worse, finally. I uh, got to the point where I could only get text messages from him because he really, he said it was, str- he struggled to speak. And finally, his, his girlfriend of a year and a half, um, an absolutely wonderful human being named Vicky, convinced him, either you're going to go to the hospital now or I'm calling the paramedics and sending them to your home. He reluctantly agreed and he drove himself to the hospital. Actually, I take that back. I don't even know if he drove himself or he called the paramedics because I know he was in bad shape. Went to the hospital. They found out he had pneumonia. Now, COVID and pneumonia together. That's a big problem. That's being hit with a with a jab and and a, and a right cross. That was part of the, you know, the, the, the complications are what really are the killer with COVID because they cause, and, and there's so many comorbidities and they cause so many other complications. With my wife's father, it was stroke and pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So Mark, you're saying had pneumonia by the time? By the he, time he, he got arrived. to the hospital, yes. Okay. In addition to all of that, to make matters worth the cherry on the Sunday, yeah being in the emergency room of the hospital where they couldn't even move him to a room because the hospital was overcrowded, yep. uh, he developed a staph infection. And there's another complication. And in hockey, that's what they call the hat trick. Mm-hmm. And he uh, progressively started getting worse. We were getting updates from, uh, again, another dear family friend, Robert Hutchins, known as Hutch. He would let us know uh, he's not on a ventilator. He's on a BiPAP machine. They're fi- trying to fight the pneumonia. They're trying to fight the staph infection, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, each day, the updates were either stagnant or worse. Then, uh, several days ago, he had to be vented. He asked to speak to a couple people before he was vented, and he was able to talk to, uh, to Hutch and to his girlfriend, Vicki. Uh, on FaceTime due to the wonderful hospital staff who we will always be thankful for. And he was vented and then from that point uh, his organs began failing and a couple days ago he was put on dialysis and then the cascading organ failure is what took him at 11.30 a.m. yesterday morning. Now I'm uh, I can't guarantee that I'll make it through the entire podcast without becoming emotional Yet, I'm also standing on the, the knife's edge of being emotional and being angry. Because I am angry. Oh, absolutely. I'm mad at my friend. Yeah. Because he allowed propaganda to influence his health decisions. Now, he 
did admit that he wished he had taken the vaccine, but it's too late. And, and that's not the first, sadly, that's not the first story I've heard of that. Anytime I've read about a story where there's a little irony in, in, a, in a COVID death, you know, COVID denier posts on Facebook about this, five days later they die of COVID. I've seen a couple of GOP congressmen uh, local with the local level get some of those and, and it's just it, it just doesn't discriminate you know it, it's you, uh, I don't get it do people not know what what's been happening well I, I think that they know that I think much like so much politics that we talk about in segment one often on our podcast is it's the feeling of I want to be I want to be with a group I I don't have a singular voice I want to be in a group. I want to be around like-minded people. Sure. Well, you know, I don't know how, I think it was 900 people were killed in Jonestown and Guyana in 1976. They wanted to be around like-minded people. Well, that's what happens yeah. sometimes with cool. like-minded people. Uh, David Koresh's followers, the same type of thing. And now we're to the Trump, the Trump cult. Yeah. That's a dangerous echo chamber. Now, Mark was not a Trumper. Mark was a open-minded independent person who i believe voted who he thought was the best person or the lesser of the two evils we discussed that ad nauseum sure so i'd say either either he was the smartest dumb person i know or the dumbest smart person i know when it came to vaccines now his his wife of 15 years robin passed away three years ago uh, due to cancer and she had decided she did not want any conventional cancer treatment so they chose the holistic route, went to Mexico, and did a bunch of stuff that might as well have been waving a chicken leg over their head. Oh, I, and I was not aware of this. So there's, so so this is like a trend with they they found solace in each other in that regard. Oh, gotcha. Now, though I can say this, I respected her decision to not do chemo. I did respect her decision to not do chemo. Because in order to respect something, it has to be able to kind of stand on its own. And that's, I, I could say, you know, Paul, I respect this about you, but I disagree. And I, and I could mean that in sure. a respectful manner. Yeah. Mark and I never argued about the vaccine. He knew I got it. I knew he didn't. Yeah. I called him an idiot for not getting it. He called me an idiot for getting it. But we were friends. We, and though we've discussed here again that we've lost friends due to Trump. We've lost fan, yeah. friends due to politics. I didn't, I didn't lose him. And I, I lost him yesterday but I didn't lose him as a result of that well the information that he started talking about years ago uh, just that vaccines are bad and vaccines are bad the way of the the vaccine the COVID vaccine was explained to me um, I have a cardiologist though I don't have a heart problem my wife does so he's my cardiologist mm-hmm. too and hopefully keep me on track he asked me uh, when I was spouting all my stupid nonsense about calling COVID the, fl- the flu. He re- asked me where I got my medical degree, and that kind of humbled me a little bit, so I calmed down. But he said, do you know what a prophylactic is? And I said, of course I know what a prophylactic is. A prophylactic is a condom. And he goes, no, a prophylactic is not a condom. A condom is a prophylactic. But they're not the same thing. And I go, well, I, I've heard him called that. He goes, okay, why do you wear a condom? And I said, well, that's stupid to not get the girl pregnant. He goes, can you get her pregnant, though? Even if you're wearing a condom? I went, 
Well, yeah, but the numbers are so unbelievably small. The chances are, I mean, it's just so minuscule. He goes, okay, well, why, why else do you wear a condom? I said, well, I'm not transmit diseases. He goes, okay, could you still catch a disease wearing a condom? And I'm like, well, yeah, Doc, of course you can. That's, that's stupid, but the numbers are so small. He goes, a vaccine's a prophylactic, dumbass. You can still catch the disease. You can still die from it. But the numbers are so small. And I'm telling you, that was an eye-opening moment for me. And I hope anyone listening for the po- listening to the podcast today hears that moment like I did. Yeah. If you're a doubter, just listen to that logic. I think that's a good way to break it. If you can, because I find with humanity now, you really have to break it down as simply as you can. And then you try to have, have to figure out how to break it down even more because people are so, so remedial. But, uh, you know, that's a good way to put it. It's a layer of protection. It's not a preventative getting, you know, it's not going to prevent you from getting it. It's not going to prevent you from transmitting it. It's not a cure. It is a layer of defense. It's like building up your immune system to the point, uh, at least against the virus, to the point where if it hits you, which it still can, and many athletes are testing positive, again, in this wave of Delta uh, strain, um, it's not going to affect you most likely to the point where you have to go to the hospital. You know, you'll, you'll still get symptoms. It may it, not kill you like it did, Mark. Right. Just say it. It, it, may, it, yeah. it may not take your life. It most likely will not. It, 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 they believe it's in a 90-something percentile of uh, prevention if you catch it and you're vaccinated. So like you're saying, yeah, if there's a hole in the condom, if you put it on wrong. But that's a great analogy because that's, what everyone thinks it's like well yeah i mean technically condoms aren't a hundred percent but you know you that's why you wear them is because you know they're pretty someone told a friend of mine yesterday i saw the text i physically saw the text Mm -hmm. and it said thousands of people a day are getting the virus who were vaccinated that's a lie not thousands of people a day are getting the virus who were vaccinated that is an absolute lie it's not thousands it's not thousands. And where was that information even well, again, sourced from, you know? FOX. They just and, believe And it. all of its subsidiaries. No, you are not allowed to make up lies and compare them to my facts and say that they're equal. Yeah. They are not. Your ignorance is not, not equal as, to my intelligence. It's not equal to my truth or my intelligence. Yeah. You know, just because you're louder and dumber doesn't mean it makes the correct answer incorrect. It, and and a, a good friend of ours, Eric Godfrey... Um, posted on Facebook, uh, I mean, Facebook, on my Facebook thing today has just been all about Mark. Everybody posting pictures, sure. everybody saying like, how, like how sad they are, because he was truly a wonderful human being, yeah. a, a truly wonderful human being. When I die, I, I, I can imagine maybe a couple posts on Facebook about it, and people going, uh, saying to my wife, sorry for your loss, because uh, a tenth of the people who, who loved Mark would have loved me the other 90 percent well he was kind of a jerk kind of an asshole sorry he's dead but you know whatever um i don't i wouldn't claim to bring the amount of tears that that mark's death has already brought but i'm still angry at my friend for making some of the decisions that he did yeah um i i I can't wrap my head around the fact that this is a useless unnecessary death your father-in-law was a useless unnecessary death a man healthy in his 50s his daughter had just gotten married. You know, I mean, everything was going great. And then his father, uh, a, a year later, I mean, still, a, when someone's a grandparent, 
it, it's kind of like, I hate to use this analogy, but I'll be there myself. You know, when you've got a dog that's 16, 17 years old, you know that the years you have left with them are a lot fewer than what you've had before. Sure. When someone's a grandparent, you I don't want to say that you expect it, but you, you prepare yourself. Most people, I don't know if you know this number, most people lose a grandparent by the time they're 25 years old. Sure. And the next, and 28 to 30 is another period of time. So mm-hmm. my kids are all in that age group. And luckily enough, my wife's parents are still alive. And they're both very healthy. Uh, thank goodness. But I will say that I lost my, my mother over over 11 years ago and my father 30. But most people expect it. You don't expect to lose a friend at 55. You don't expect for him to lose his wife three years earlier uh, to cancer. Uh, my wife had the Widowmaker heart attack when she was 43 and should have killed over dead. Not even had a chance to say goodbye. That's how bad her heart attack was on paper. Luckily, she was conscious and she was able to deal with And that's how it. tough she is and was like, um, I'm not ready yet. The woman's been married to me for 15 years. There's, there's, there's no question she's got the, uh, the chocolate hard shell of a Dairy Queen uh, dipped, uh, dipped cone uh, to be married to me for that long. And, but right now, um, i got to tell a couple quick stories about Mark. Uh, for those that don't know him, maybe you'll get to know him a little bit. He started work for my, my DJ company in 1994, made it through the training, and went out and started doing weddings. Oh, my God. Within the first three to four weeks of his being out there, the quality control reports were terrible. We were getting words like he was awful. Um, we'll never use you guys again we want a refund oh my gosh everything he touched had the opposite Midas touch everything he touched touched rusted instead of turned to gold so we had a uh, a little courtyard in the uh, shopping center where our office was located and when the DJs would pull their cars up out front we knew who their cars were and if we had a if we had to talk with them we wouldn't have them come into the office where everybody could hear where it was open the manager would put on a pair of sunglasses and meet him in the courtyard we'd sit at this little wooden bench and it was called just you know okay i gotta meet you at the bench the bench was bad so uh, kimber was working in the office she met mark out there and mark took a pencil and wrote mark burgess was here on the bench um the next time kurt met Mark out at the bench. Mark took out his pocket knife and carved where he had written it with pencil. Mark Burgess was here. And then the third time, uh, Eric Bright uh, met Mark out in the courtyard and I Mark took, I guess, a soldering iron and kind of burnt his name. Mark Burgess was here into the bench. By the time it was over, we had a little gold plaque <laughs> we put on that, the Mark Burgess commemorative bench. Mm, yeah. Mark, Mark's bench, it became <laughs> Well, I was the owner of the company and I said, we got we to cut this guy loose. we got to get rid of him. It's, the QCs are terrible. It's just not, it's not meant to be. And so I put on my sunglasses, and I didn't know Mark all that well. I hadn't trained him. So I met him out in the courtyard on his way in, and he sees me walking out. Hey, you know, you can hear dun-dun-dun-dun. You can hear the, you know, sure, yeah, the, the, uh, the death march walking his way, no pun intended. And he sat down, and I said, listen, uh, this ain't working out. Uh, I think you're a good person. I think you tried hard, but I just don't think this is for you. 
and he was really you could tell he really was upset he was really disappointed in himself and I said uh, I gotta ask you though who taught you to do this and he mentioned some guy's name Frank well who taught you how to do this oh well, that guy William well who taught you how to do this who, who told you to do this this way I'm just curious and come to find out something ding a little light bulb went off and I'm like it just dawned on me I never trained this guy he never went out to train with me at a wedding and I'm wondering the people's names he just mentioned are some of the lowest level almost new DJs themselves within the company and I said I got a I got an idea are you willing to go back into training? Yes, he said before I even finished the sentence. I said, you really don't want to lose this job? No, I really don't. You're willing to go back into training, not unpaid? Absolutely, absolutely. I said, all right. I said, uh, come on in, have a seat. So he came in and sat down. And I asked uh, Kimber, the office manager, for the training sheets to see who he had trained with. Now, we had 36 DJs working for the company at the time. The bottom 20 were turned over just about every year. Okay. That was a flaw within the company. When I took over ownership of it, I changed that. We got to the point where we were hiring four new DJs a year instead of 20. So I was keeping people longer, paying them better. I, I think... So you're making more of that way, too. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm looking down the list. One person out of the 10 times he had trained, one person was decent. The rest of them were the dregs of the company. Yeah, I said it, the dregs. Sure. Oh, there's dregs at every company, for and sure. And I said, hmm. I said, all right, Mark, you're back in training. You're training with me this weekend. You're training with Eric uh, this weekend. You're training with all the top people going forward. And he thanked me, and he went out and so on. Started going out that weekend with the right people. Within two and a half weeks, he was ready. We put him back out into the field. He excelled. And uh, about a year and a half after that, he became the first person in the company to be promoted to the pros team, the top five DJs within the company, top five, top five paid people within the company. Just terrific. Now, we were not friends at that point the friendship started growing when he was invited to be a manager in the office. Probably had a chance to talk to him yeah, a little bit more. Yeah. Got to see how good he was in sales, how good he was with managing people. Yeah. A really great people manager. And then uh, we opened up a <clears throat> the Fame DJ School and uh, I made him the senior instructor because he was just really terrific with people yeah. and training people. Uh, he knew, he, he understood my philosophies, but he also under, realized that we had the same philosophy and you need to find how to reach people. Don't just train a certain way and hope Absolutely. they get it. Find out how to train each individual. Yes. Then we uh, opened up a satellite office in Orlando. I asked him if he was interested in moving out there. He said yes. So I put him in charge. He was the manager of our Orlando office. And uh, grew that to be uh, just a fantastic company. When we sold the company in, in 2000, uh, he continued to work for the new company for about a year, year and a half after that, and uh, then opened up uh, Mark Burgess Productions uh, a couple of years later. Um, I'm proud to say that I helped him get it started. I helped him grow. I helped him hire uh, some really great people who represented his, his name and his company extremely well. Right. 
and uh, and grew that and eventually expanded that into travel and, and other things. Um, at his memorial, we're planning a memorial, but we're going to hold off a little while to see about the COVID spikes. Yeah. Not just because of the circumstances of his death, but because it could be two weeks, we go back to a complete mask mandate. It could go back to restaurants being cut down to uh, half the capacity. And I just don't want to see a memorial rushed and put together very quickly and thrown together at a time when people would have to rush to travel to be there. We're going to try to set it up for maybe a few weeks, maybe, God forbid, a couple months, to give people time to, to grieve, to let the sadness and the, and the tears go, and allow us to put together the appropriate celebration of this man's life, because we could have ten celebrations of this man's life and probably not cover all the wonderful things he did, the goodness that he brought. Um, and I don't want to make the first segment we're talking about, Mark, about just his ignorance about the disease. You know, right. it's so that, that that's not what defined him. It's just the unfortunately, it's just what took him from us. But I mentioned something. Or I respected Robin, his wife's decision to not get chemo, but I never quite respected Mark's decision to not get the vaccine. I accepted it, but I never really respected it. And here's why: in order for me to respect someone or something. They've got to be able to stand on their own, on their own merit, and not be substantiated by something that's false. Have a reason. Have a, and, and. and I believe the anti-vaxxers are substantiated and propped up and held up and built up by crazy conspiracy theories about vaccines. One of my Trump supporter friends said, well, I just don't know about this vaccine. They rushed it through. I said, okay, <coughs> who's they? Well, the government. Okay. At the time, who was a representative of the government? Trump. So you're saying Trump rushed it through. No, no, he was forced. Okay. Right. Okay. He actually said, we're going to get a vaccine faster than anybody expected. I said, are you telling me he didn't say that? Because I didn't bring up the video clip. We're going to get the vaccine we're going to get it faster than any other country. Our people are going to work the fastest. <laughs> it's going to be the fastest vaccine in the entire world. It's going to be perfect. He did He did say that. So he didn't hinder them. Now, in the 1950s, it was difficult to get a vaccine put together. In the words of Marley Matlin, because of the medical technology. Okay? It's now 2020. We're 70 years from that. Mm-hmm. Medical science has gotten better. So that's why we were able to get this vaccine as quickly as we did, because we'd easily be over a million people dead now without it, at, at least, especially with this new Delta variant. Yeah. And they talk about the breakthroughs, the people who have the vaccine but yet still get it. Okay? These numbers are very small. They're mm. very, very small. Percent, like per- less than a percent. Like but, but again, the Trumpers are saying, well, the death rate is, is, is less than 1%, so why am I worried about it? Well, quit acting like... Now the breakthroughs is some crazy high percentage when it's about the same. Mm-hmm. That shows you the spin. That they, They've learned to spin it positively when it's for their team, and they've learned to spin it negatively when it's for the other team. It's kind of what Fox has mastered. Okay. I want you to pretend that you're an anti-vaxxer, and I'm going to say I, want, I have a great response. Okay. So, so. Paul, why why haven't you gotten the vaccine? Man, I don't because I don't trust it. They first of all they rushed it through. So how how do we know it's not going to kill me? Uh, I could you know I've heard a There's no. I, well, I don't have any information. I mean, 
So that's their excuse, right? It's they, they always they always say there's not enough information, right? Oh yeah. Well, well yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Well, we don't know enough. We don't know enough about it yet. Right. There's not enough information out there. You don't know enough about it yet. You're the dumb hillbilly. <laughs> let, let me let me ask you this, Paul. Um, when have you ever had a surgery? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. What what was it? You don't. Have uh, I had an appendectomy. Okay. So when you had an appendectomy, before the doctor did it, did you ask him for all of the research about appendectomy? I definitely did not. I trusted the doctor. Hmm. Imagine that. Okay. What if you didn't trust the doctor, and the doctor handed you something about an inch and a half thick and said, here's all the information about appendectomies. What percentage of it would you have understood? Yeah, very, very little. Probably less than 10%. And that's only because my parents both worked in the medical field. So, uh, you know, I'm not completely ignorant, but I'm definitely not a doctor. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't understand it. So, essentially... These people who say there's not enough information out there are making a decision without knowing the information that is out there. You might but, almost say they're being hypocritical. So, but they say if they got the information, they would understand it? Probably not. But where are they getting their information from? A news source. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with air quotes yeah. that you can't you see. Made a very, you made a very valid point to me one time. You said... People call it the fake media and the media's yeah, like mainstream media. Fox will media. criticize the mainstream media, and, and, and Trump would criticize the mainstream media. Paul, who's, who's the most often uh, watched news in the country? Fox. So it's that old, it's that old uh, flaw in the whole fascist thing. The enemy is both simultaneously very strong, but also very weak. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's doublespeak, basically, when you're trying to get this fascist regime. And, and that's just another example of it. It's, it's, it's a complete contradiction, and yet they try to cover it for both angles. It's such a bizarre and such a methodical and, to me, very transparent thing that's happening. One of uh, one of my Trumper friends said to me the other day, he goes, well, I, res I respect Mark's decision to not get the vaccine. In my body, my choice. I said, okay. So he's a libertarian. Okay. So he said, let me ask you this. How do you feel about abortion? Well, that's different. Ah. Mm, interesting. Her body, my choice. Her body, my choice. Mm, interesting. He goes, that's not the same thing at all. I said, well, actually, you're killing a living thing when you're killing a virus. Yeah. This is uh, where they start to... To twist and turn the facts in their favor, where well, it's not a, you know the fetus isn't living, whatever they need to do to justify it, so that they sound like they're winning. But more often than not, the people that take those positions can't, so they either walk away or get angry or start name calling or just. In in a class that I attend uh, on Monday nights, one of the uh, nut jobs in the class was uh, <laughs> calling me right now. As a matter of fact, <laughs> got the homework. Yep. So. Uh, she was talking about uh, we have to start wearing masks when we go back to class next week. And she was just arms flailing, the damn media, and they're blowing this out of proportion. The Delta variant's not a big deal and all this Again. crap. <laughs> and, and then so a bunch of the guys in the class started kind of attacking her, kind of started really going at her. 
And finally she threw up her hands. Well, oh, yeah, well, fine. I just don't want to talk about it anymore. And that's when I stood up and said, actually, no, you just poked the bear. We are going to talk yeah. about it because I got a friend in the hospital on a <clears> ventilator <throat> right now. You are not allowed to sit there and espouse your bullshit, your conspiracy theories, your fake crap that is made up and is a, a damn fairy tale while I've got a friend who's dying of it. He was an anti-vaxxer because he believed crap like you say, worshipped at the altar of Jenny McCarthy. This is insane. Yeah. And I said, you are not going to be so un-American as to try to stifle my right to free speech. You got a chance to say your shit. I'm going to get a chance to say mine. And I laid it on. I'm so glad. And it it, it felt good. What I'm trying to do with this whole thing is not blow up like, you know, Mount Smith all of a sudden. Because the the people who said to me, um, the religious people who said, "Well, at least he's up there with oh, Robin now, and, and 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 she was waiting for him. It was God's will, and 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 she was waiting for him, and all this stuff." I I just I, I reflected back to a moment when I was young. Uh, my grandfather, as you know, Holy Roller Pentecostal minister, he did say something to me that helped me understand a little bit of his belief okay. his belief system he explained to me that in heaven there is no day and night there is no period of time they don't work off of a 24-hour clock there is there's no concept of time he said when someone goes to heaven and their wife or husband lives another 30 years and they die to the person in heaven just moments have passed he said, in heaven, 10,000 days is a day. Hmm. Now, I don't know why I got comfort from that. That sounds very comforting when you're telling me if that's, you know. It's but I did. If it is true, and quite candidly, I don't believe it to be true. But if it is true, then now I'm not only angry at Mark, I'm angry at Robin. Because according to that theory, moments have passed. Could she have waited a few more moments and allowed Mark to stay with us another 25 years? That would have been great. In order for people to say, well, he's up there with Robin and she called him to... Stop. Robin was not a selfish person. She was selfless. She would never say to all of the people on earth that loved her husband, I'm going to take him from you now. So this religious bullshit needs to stop. One more little caveat about religious bullshit. The same guy who said, my body, my choice about the vaccine mm-hmm. is the same person who said, who started quoting the Bible telling me that, you know, the God hates fags thing. Oh, right, right, right. That's the loving yeah. God that they, that yeah, they worship. The, 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 the loving God mm-hmm. who said jealousy is one of the seven deadly sins, but I am a jealous God. You know, a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Time to balance the meds. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would say this about, I said something like that, and, and he started talking about, <clears throat> You know how, you know, gay gay men and and the gay thing was going to end society, and I asked him. I said, "Well, when was the last time two gay men were having sex in the hotel room next to you, and you decided, hmm, you know, I think I want to give that a try." It's never happened, but this is the same guy. My body, my choice. And I mentioned to him, right? Interesting. I said, "So uh, we got on the the gay thing," and I said, "Okay, so in the Bible it says, a man shall not lie with another man." That's the As he lies King, with a woman. King James Version mm-hmm. edited. Okay, cool. So you're saying one man, one woman, that's what marriage is, right? 
absolutely. I said, okay, explain polygamy. Well, the Mormons, I said, stop right there. Uh-uh-uh, uh-uh, buddy, nice try. I said, I happen to remember a person in the Bible named Nathaniel who had 12 wives. This is long before Joseph Smith found the golden plates in upstate New York. And they happen to be written in English. <laughs> and happen to find out the Garden of Eden is actually in Missouri. <laughs> you know, believable stuff. Sure. I believe Santa Claus comes down the chimney probably but before I believe that. But all that aside. So, one man, one woman? I said, you were citing the Bible a minute ago with this, a man shall not lie with another man. One man, one woman? Is it marriage is? Or are you admitting that at that time women were property? Just admit it. Then he started to, well, you know, that's that's the, inter no, it's not an interpretation. That's, that's the word of God. It's written right there. So I said, you can't come at me with religious stuff. I'm prepared. Yeah. I know a guy named... Uh, Brent, <coughs> the the, uh, the the OG, the o, the OG original atheist. We had we had him on a podcast to yeah. talk about theology, and it was it was nice to see someone. I could tell Brent has a very open minded perspective. He's not he's not kind of favoring any religion. He just likes to kind of gather all the knowledge and then compare them across. Which is well, he he made a he made a very valid point. It was val also uh, mentioned by Christopher Hitchens, uh, long long time uh, atheist. Uh, author and so on mm -hmm. and he said uh, he says at one time there were 10,000 gods then it was whittled down to about a thousand gods and now we're down to two or three he goes we're getting closer to the truth every day <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I also explained to my friend I said you're an atheist he goes no I'm not I said yes you are he goes, no I'm not I said do you believe in Zeus what about Archimedes right. Greek what about, god Greek. what about Mars god of war Roman these are all gods. Yeah. What about Athena? I mean, the the God is the key word, right? It doesn't specifically say Jesus. It just says the uh, atheists don't believe in a God. So, technically. Everybody interprets that as they don't believe in my God, my God. and I have to change you. Right. So, if you say to them, uh, you know, is, is do you believe in Allah? No. Well, you're an atheist then. Big time, because several billion people do. And also, my, my friend is the same one that doesn't understand that Islam is a religion. Muslim is a people. He also doesn't know the difference between communism and, and socialism. socialism. Oh, what a, what a surprise. Yeah. So that's why I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in these people thinking that they've done their research on the vaccine. Yeah, they definitely haven't. So thank you all uh, for listening. Uh, to our first segment, we're going to get back to uh, uh, our normal way of doing things where we're going to talk about uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. And we found another about, end. Yep, and we're going to talk about uh, great U.S. Olympic moments, but um, in, in honor of um, our good friend Mark Burgess. Um, we miss you, Mark, and uh, if there is an afterlife, obviously you're listening to the podcast. I'm still a little mad at you, so if you can somehow resurrect yourself and come back, I'll strangle you and kill you myself. <laughs> um, I will miss the man dearly, and uh, we'll be back. Segment number two, just a minute.
Hey everyone, this is Solio from The Lighter Side of Dark, and I want to talk about my favorite bakery in the whole world, Cuppy Cakes. If you live in the greater Tampa Bay area and you have a special event coming up, a wedding, birthday, getting off probation, I want you to give them a call, go to their website, check out their work. It is impeccable. They've been around since 2011, and they make the most incredible custom cakes you'll ever see. www.ourcuppycakes.com, or you can find them on Pinterest, Instagram, or Facebook. Check them out today. I promise you won't be disappointed. Cuppy cakes. You know, we lost a lot of people during the pandemic, which makes me think of those people close to me. What if there was a way to remember them after they're gone? Well, now there is. My Forever Story. With My Forever Story, they come to your loved one, ask them the questions they choose, and in less than an hour, they have their entire life story recorded in their own words, and most importantly, their own voice. It's uploaded to the secure website and made available for all to hear, even future generations. No more trying to remember Grandpa's favorite stories. Now you can hear him talk about them himself. Your kids and your grandkids will be able to listen to your story from their phone or computer anytime. If you think your kids will read your life story, good luck. But they will listen if it's on their phone. Takes less than an hour, and in most cases, it's under $100. Call the toll-free number 866 913 3263 or go to the website my the number 4 everstory.com my forever story their voice their words their story all staff members wear masks and abide by CDC covid restriction guidelines your safety is our first priority Lighter Side of Dark featured musical artist. Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band. That's we've been the, looking. We've been looking. That's the end, though. That's the end that we've been lacking. We, we, we've, uh, we've been riding this wave for, I want to say, five, six weeks now, where we're looking for those end the bands. And we thought we ran out about three weeks ago. <laughs> and every time we think we run out, Mr. Smith over here is like, wait, I got one. Yep. So... We uh we've pulled up Bob Seger, Bob Seger, and the Silver Bullet Band. Uh, everybody obviously knows uh, his, his big hits. Uh, certainly, I can say as a DJ, my favorite Bob Seger song is "Old Time Rock and Roll." That, of course, makes me biased because it's such a great dance song. So, from from that point of view, it's it's just ideal as long as you skip that little f- piano intro thing. But. Um, Man, the thing, the thing is that that song was voted the number one party song seven years in a row. I, and by I, mobile I don't DJs even, everywhere. And I don't even know how I can explain it because I, it's sort of just a basic rock and roll song. It has like a nice funky and it's got a lot of soul, which is funny because that's what he says in it. He's able to capture those two those two words in a song, and and every time you play it, the dance floor packs still. From a DJ standpoint, there's really not been a more consistently hitting song. Uh, now, when I worked in radio in the uh, early 80s, there were two artists I could not stand. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band and Bruce Springsteen. 
and the, the E Street Band, which would be a good end then to do. Um, couldn't stand either one of them. Here's why: they were overplayed. They were overplayed on my on the rock station I worked at Q95. They were played, overplayed, overplayed. That'll overplayed. do it. I said to myself, I got to go on the rest of my life without ever hearing their music. I disagree now because I make money off of it. Yeah, and and you know when you, anything you get you hear enough, you get sick of. You just even if it's good. I, uh, there's songs I absolutely love that I've just heard so many times I don't need to hear them again for 10 more years or ever. Born in uh, Detroit, that's why he's kind of known as the Detroit rocker, Indeed. very similar to uh, uh, Kid Rock. And hey, Silver Bullets, that certainly reminds me of being in Detroit, you know, all those gangs shooting at you. Nice. You know what that was? It was named after a beer. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the Coors? Uh, Silver Bullet. Was he a big Coors guy? Was that it? Hey, come on. The Silver Bullet, it's the banquet beer, man. Yeah, his, uh, his father was a band leader and musician, worked in an auto plant, obviously, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the, uh, the youngest of two sons. Uh, when he was 10, his father abandoned the family. Jeez. Left for California in search of success that he never quite achieved. Uh, Bob, as a youngster, stayed up listening to uh, radio stations on old transistor radio, favorite groups, James Brown. Uh, Little Richard, Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, and others. And a guy named Garnett Mims, who I've never heard of. I've never heard of him either. We're going to have to look him up on the green. Now we have a project, yeah. Um, He liked James Brown more than the Beatles, according to him. And his favorite album is James Brown, Live at the Apollo. Excellent. A good student in high school and could run a five-minute mile. And then he he discovered rock and roll. Um, Would stay up literally all night long listening to a car radio got better reception sure. than his transistor. Definitely do what you can. Yep. You harness the technology available. Now now we're spoiled. How cool is this? In eleventh grade he had a band that was playing in bars three nights a week. In eleventh you know, grade? Yeah. You're six, 16, 17, 17 years, years old. old. You're playing in bars three nights a week. You're good if you're doing that. Oh man. I mean you gotta be not just good, but to, to be organized and savvy enough to kind of handle bookings and, and the responsibility that goes along with that kind of thing at that age. Be around people who are probably drunk and, and handle yourself. That's that's amazing actually. Now, uh, let me ask you this. Do you know what uh, record label offered him his first contract? This Motown. Motown. You really? You knew that? I no, I didn't. That. that was a guess because he loved soul. I was just gonna. It was. He was actually one of the first white acts really signed to Motown. I, I could just based on who we listened to, I could see him like going that way, all, like just full bore. His first hit was this one. recognized it yet? I, ha- I have not. I like it. Rambling, gambling man. Okay, yeah. It's his first hit. And I never hear this anymore. The, so- I- the song's only 2 minutes and 23 seconds long. Yeah. It's not a long song, but it's- that was the first one to crack the charts in 67. I could see why. It's got a good groove, a good tempo, nice beats, got that funky... It kind of fit a little, little bit of a sound of the time with some of the instrumentation, but that that's not unusual. That's just how it is. Interesting. It doesn't even sound like him, too. You know, it's that's the other thing is you hear some old recordings when you hear Stephen Tyler sing "Dream On." When you when you hear uh, certain acts sing some of their first songs, you're like, 
Wow, that is him. We, I mean, eventually you can hear it. Uh, yeah, if you listen enough. But but going back so far, maybe because I'm yeah, used Ramblin', to this. Ramblin' Gamblin' Man made it up to 17 in 1969. And this is the scary part. How many how many top 40 hits do you think he had from 69 until 77? An eight-year span. One. None. None. Oh. I was, well, you said scary, so I'm like, for him, I bet it's scary. So he, none. He had a lot of hit albums during that time. A lot of regional success, hmm, okay, but not a lot of top so forty. It's kind of like a middling. Well, you could say Pink Floyd the same way. That's true. They Floyd, weren't top Floyd, forty Floyd, heavy. Floyd weren't top heavy. Yeah, they were the Grateful Dead. It's true. That's true but too. They were unbelievably popular during that time span, and so much so that their fans are almost like cultish about it. Fish. They're another group that like has really no hits. Right. Yeah, here we go. One of his uh, first. Uh, Rock ballady songs, as Paul would say. I, I like to turn nouns into adjectives. That's my Night thing. Night moves. Brought to you by. Excellent. This is one of those songs. <laughs> I'll never forget. There was this. I was at a wedding, and there was a guy playing pool with some other guy, and he. I think in his mind he wanted to be like a hustler, so he went and he went to the jukebox, and he put this song on for like five times in a row. And that was like his theme song for when he was playing billiards. And it always makes me think of that one guy who yeah. was so proud to be like, yeah, man, this is my theme. And he was just playing his friend in billiards. It was weird. Night Moves <laughs> had a lot of uh, regional success, kind of like Beautiful Loser, which was a, a great one. Um, in the early 70s, he and his band uh, came to Florida, played three straight nights, then drove 25 hours back because they couldn't afford motel rooms. Man. He, he said he considered himself. Comics. He said he considered himself more of a driver than a singer. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I believe that. That's how it feels, you know. And on the road again, I'm sure that came about because of all of that. And 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 if you and if you uh, oh, turn the page, turn the page. That's what you're thinking yeah. of. Um, in 1976, to show you the, the the weird dichotomy that was his career, he he played in front of 50 people in a Chicago bar. Three days later. 76,000 fans in the Pontiac Silverdome. Wow. So, I mean... I mean... And, you know, being that he... Like, as you said, he started... He was about 17 years old playing three gigs a week. So, that was nothing new for him, playing for 50 people or 10 people. You start there, and, and you should be able to handle it. In fact, I bet a lot of musicians prefer that. Prefer the intimacy of having a, a real crowd in, in a limited capacity area. Probably his biggest uh, sappy ballad was this one right here. I know it's late. I know you're weary. I know your plans don't include me. We've got tonight. Yeah. I, I, I almost feel like he was trying to channel like a Kenny Rogers sort of. 80s ballad in that in that one. What's interesting though is Kenny Rogers and Sheena Easton did a duet of that same song. Really, it was a very big popular hit. And I I wasn't. I guess I never realized that was a hit, but I I could see why. I could see Kenny Rogers hearing that and be like, man, that that was made for me to sing. Kind of just a little reminds me a little bit of that. I don't know, just sort of how to sound. This this is that same song. Yeah, you can hear how it's uh, been popified. I know it's late. There he is. 
Singer didn't mind. He, he I doubt it. Yeah. He made bank. Sure. Yeah. He made, he made bank from that. That's an honor too. Like, oh, Kenny Rogers likes my song. He wants to cover it. Sure. Now, um, we talked about this one night, Santana. I asked you what was Santana's first number one song. I think you said Evil Ways, or you might have said... Yeah, Black uh, Magic Woman or Evil Magic Ways, Woman I probably guess. Or something like that. Whoa. And I said, no, it was actually um, Smooth. Really? Rob Thomas and Santana, that was Santana's so from, first. So from a technical standpoint, first. it was actually his first... Was that like charting what, what chart? Top 40? or Yeah. They, I mean, so Santana, Santana had plenty of top forty songs. Yeah, not even close to number one. Took it took Rob Thomas to and them to do smooth. What was Bob Seger's only number one song? Here's here's a hint: old time rock and roll, the greatest rock and roll party song of all uh-huh. time, only got as high as thirty seven on the top forty. Wow, that's that scary. That is weird because I'm trying to think of a song of his that's. I mean, he's got popular songs, but... First and only number one song. From the Beverly Hills Cop Shake Down. Shake Down. That's only why. Number one. Because of the movie. Great song. My God, did he really channel that industrial synthesizer 80s sound? Here, here. we go. No matter what you think, hold, you'll find it's not enough. Shakedown, breakdown, takedown. Everybody walks into the crowded line. And so he heard, uh, he heard the uh, the Glenn Fry song, in the first one. He's like, "Heat is on, right, heat is on." I gotta, I gotta top heat is on or make it sound. What's a sequel to the heat is on? Yep. Shakedown. It go. sounded like it. another great song by Seeger. Wistful songs. But it was long ago. Good old against the wind. Song sad, but it, it has a, a the tempo is fast enough to where it can, it's kind of like in that middle of the road where you it's not so sappy. Where then you know when turn the page comes on, it's like okay, how many more minutes till he starts talking about the trip he's going on? His uh, according to him, some of his. Uh, earliest and biggest influences by uh, Freddie Boom Boom Cannon who said do your best because it's only going to last two or three years it's good advice to kind of maybe have that mindset so that you give it your all he thought his uh, music career would be over by 30 and he would basically ride motorcycles across Europe get a real job so he was kind of practical it sounds like he was like you know at least he had a plan or a fallback for reality a couple of his albums including uh uh, live, uh, the live album that was so unbelievably popular uh, called Live Bullet uh, was delayed by as, as much as six months. Wow. Because he would spend months in the studio fixing problems that no one else could hear. Wow. that He was that meticulous. Yep. And, and his co-producer said, you cannot move him with a crane. <laughs> if I believe he's it. sitting down in that chair and he hears something, it's not, it's not going to be released until... It is perfection. Well, he was a perfectionist. I have a wife who does uh, specialty cakes for a living, and sort of something just really hit home when you said that, and and that is if there is anything wrong that nobody else, including me who sees her work every day, 
can see with the human eye, she will see it. It's scary because and my wife does furniture rehab. I believe she's, she's the same exactly way. Exactly the same way. She will not get up from the chair. She will not finish. You cannot talk to her. You cannot get through to her until it is perfect. And you remember from my fiftieth birthday roast, it's good enough. That's yeah, good enough. Good. That was my that's my theory. It's good enough. Almost half. You almost have to balance it out a little bit because these perfectionists <laughs> crack me up. Um, he, he was a big admirer of uh, Leonard Cohen, songwriter. Okay. Uh, also uh, trained and uh, tr trained, excuse me, toured with and opened with and performed with Tom Waits and Joni Mitchell. Okay, uh, with the two different people, Joni Mitchell, kind of that folk singer, yes. early '70s sound, Dusty Springfield kind of sound, and then Tom Waits, kind of an '80s. Uh, rocker sure. at that point, so definitely had that. Um, do you know how many albums he has sold? Oh God, I don't. But I, he's got to be a multi-platinum guy. Um, Ten consecutive <clears throat> million-selling albums between '75 <clears throat> and '95. Wow, that's consistency. Yep. And yet, the one top forty hit was "Shakedown" from uh, Beverly Hills Cop Two. Seems like that—that's more sold, common than I he thought. He sold just under fifty million <clears throat> albums total. Wow. Um, a, a quote from him he believes his, his rock and roll savagery the way he really liked the blues and rock and roll and was really raucous and loud on stage really was tempered for many years by the need to produce mainstream records to make money hmm. to in order to have the luxury and, and uh, Prince very synonymous with that yes. said, I gotta put out a few pop cheesy songs knew to it. make money keep Paisley Park going so I can do my artistry you know, it's uh, the our our point of view as DJs would be the consistent type of gigs that maybe are weekly or bi month or bi weekly that pay less yeah. and it's less work, but they add up. It's kind of like that's their version of the pop songs. They don't they probably don't love them. It's probably not the biggest payoff, but in the end, it is because it's what keeps them. It's yep. what keeps their fame going, and it allows them to. Speaking of which, is that the new one? Yep. I have a feeling we're going to start to see a lot of this because I remember you telling me about his his unreleased catalog and his vault of music. Yeah, for those of you not watching us on YouTube, which is everybody because mm -hmm. we're not on there, I just showed Paul the new uh, Prince album, Welcome to America, that uh, I bought yesterday, and it is unopened. I plan on listening to it this afternoon with my headphones on really loud because my good friend Mark Burgess was also a Prince fan. so He would he would demand that you listen to it. I yes, know he would. I, can, I cannot wait, but... Uh, some artists do that. They have to. They have to put out their their music that uh, that makes them money. That's, yes, that's that's smart. It's and it, I bet it doesn't even take up nearly that much of his. Like I've heard those stories about Prince where he came in. What is, what was it? Some late night, probably a late night coke binge, and uh, from, you know Nikki uh, Stevie Nicks from from Fleetwood Mac when uh, when she was writing stand up. And I, I think he called her, or she called him in late night in the studio, like, can you help me with this? And he came in and he wrote that, um, that keyboard intro or that keyboard solo in light in that, in that evening. And then mm -hmm. he, when he went back, just like, that, that, like she called him up at like three in the morning. She was probably just, you know, it's just like, yeah, here you go. Meanwhile, that he riff actually, made the song. He actually wrote the song Purple Rain for Stevie Nicks. And, and then he wound up. She just, didn't want it. Yeah. But yeah, it would have worked for her. Thank you. I just want to say the same thing. Because she's so dreary. You could hear her singing. You could hear. You could hear. A hundred percent. Yeah. Holy cow. 
he really did know how to write for people. The uh, One of the biggest selling uh, single records on a credit, meaning you get credit for single sales, even though it's an album, was Risky Business. This is where a lot of people heard old-time rock and roll for the first sure. time. Just take those old records off. Famous underpants. There's, there's that beat that white people crave. It's just fast enough so they can move, but not so fast that they're going to fall over their two left feet. Most most requested Bob Seger song of all time. For whatever reason, and the karaoke wise. Oh my god, this is more. one of the only songs that people sing on karaoke by Bob Seger. And meanwhile, it requires very little talent. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, the range is pretty modest. You can, you can talk. He and again, in honor of Mark Burgess, he, he was not a good singer. He talked his way through karaoke, and he can do just he, oh, he can pull it off. I, Mark was an, an entertainer for sure. And, um, I want to close out um, with my favorite Bob Seger song of all time. Not It wasn't a big hit of his. I think I'm going to guess Rock and Roll Never Dies. Rock and Roll Never Forgets. Never Forgets. That's it. It's one that I. That's one that I play on my middle of the road. Okay. Okay. It's a, it's a, but, but but my personal favorite Bob Seger song of all time is a song called Sunspot Baby. Is this a deep cut? Oh, this or is, is this a hit? This is definitely a deep cut. This was him having fun with his roots. Yeah. Oh. surprise you. I can sing this song. Right in your key. Let me hear stranded with Bill This is a blues. Oh, so bluesy. A little, a little bit of a crunchy uh, pedal effect. Took off with my American Express. Sunspot baby, she show at me way out guess. Talks about how he's chasing this woman all over the world. She's running up yeah. his he can't catch her. As a great blues. Now, did he have a lot of those types on his albums because that's what he really liked to write? Sure. That's what I would think. Like a lot of funk and bluesy sort of tracks that maybe weren't hits, but, yeah. but you know, the fans, that's you, probably what they and, prefer. And the truth is, you could hear James Brown singing that song. Absolutely. You could see it was his influences. There would have been a lot of, ow, and jump back, gotta kick myself, get a huge. Sure. There's a lot of that. But yeah, yeah. But he definitely could have. He was able to channel that other, the other portions also. Could have done that. And, uh, all right, well, that's going to take care. We learned a lot about uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Do you know, did he uh, did he win any Grammys or Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Do you know? Let's uh, I don't, find I, out about that. Let's see. Bob Seger. I'm going to guess yes, but we always, we always like to verify the artist, uh, if it is a yay or a nay. I know he's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I just don't know when. 2004 for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2012. Nice. Grammys? So, Any Grammys? Uh, let's see. Six decades, 75 million records. This pause is brought to you by Slow Moving Internet this of is, Spectrum. I just can't believe how how sluggish this is. I, I, I like have to you, want, you want to tell everybody what the name of the network is here in the studio? The name of the network is Spectrum Sucks. <laughs> I, I can see why. I'm on my. Uh, I'm not even on Wi-Fi. I'm just on, and I still can't. Oh, here we go. Uh, let's see. Any any Grammys? Any awards? I'm not seeing any. I'm not seeing any. Maybe he's one of those that sort of just had that steady success, and then you look back and you realize how many hits. I'm seeing his uh, album sale totals, which are very impressive. 
Awards. Yes, he won Best uh, Male Rock Vocal Performance in 1993, 1992, 1988, a specific song, uh-huh. maybe a music video, a, oh, okay. a, a specific concert, or a specific event. So it could just be a song with, with its music video. Yeah. Okay. Bit. Interesting. I wonder what he had in 92 and 93 that was so popular. I, I don't remember him having anything out in the 90s. I, I remember Shakedown as kind of being his last, well, only hit hit, I guess, but... Number one. But, but yeah, his, his biggest hit. But I... That's... Boy, there's, I'm, suddenly, after all the research and all the facts I've learned, I'm left with a question about you're, Bob. You're, I'm going to have to go you're digging. Pull your eyebrows back from the back of your head. I'm going to. All right, well, everybody, that's going to wrap up segment two. We'll be back with uh, segment three, our Mount Rushmore of greatest United States Olympic moments in honor of the Olympics going on in Tokyo right now. apropos. We will let Bob take us out. Looking for a unique and different kind of entertainment for your next fun event? Try a real live TV style game show at your home or your next event. All your favorites, The Feud, Jeopardy, Pyramid, Match Game, The Really Wed Game, and on and on. This is no board game or DVD version. This is the real deal. Full-blown TV setups just like going to Hollywood but saving you the trip to the West Coast. All ages love game shows and styles available to fit all budgets. Call 727-531-8880 or visit the website at GameShowParty.com and plan your next event being the one everybody will be talking about. Game Show Party, located right here in the Tampa Bay area. Social distancing guidelines respected. Hey everyone, it's Solio from the lighter side of dark. Let's be honest, 2020 has not been a lot of fun so far and we could all probably use some laughs. When I need some laughs, my favorite place in the world to be is at Side Splitters Comedy Club in Tampa, Florida. Live stand-up comedy every Wednesday through Sunday night. Nationally touring acts. There's even acts you've probably never heard of that are hilarious. If you've never seen a live stand-up show, I want you to go. They are so much different in person, and they are so much better. You feel the energy. You really feel like you're part of something special. Sidesplitterscomedy.com. You can get your tickets online. You can pick out your seats online, so you can sit wherever you want. If you want to be in the back because you're afraid, that's fine. You can do that. Go to sidesplitterscomedy.com and grab your tickets today. Now it's time for our Mount Rushmore segment, brought to you by Side Splitters Comedy Club in Tampa. Just in time. Uh, it, it took me from the beginning of the commercial break till just now to get the uh, web <laughs> on my phone to actually read. I, I don't know. The, every phone I get seems to get slower and slower. Let me ask you a question, Paul. Do you have an Android? No, I have an iPhone. Oh, I've never heard of such things unless I count everybody else who has an <laughs> iPhone. I'm, I'm starting 
get a little pissed about it. All right, this week at Side Splitters Comedy Club over in Carrollwood, Florida, uh, is Steve Byrne. Love him. Steve Byrne. I've, Love uh, him. Big I've, fan. I've yet worked with Steve before. Very funny. Um, was, oh, I can't think of the name of the show. I had a sitcom briefly with, uh, a few years ago with Roy Wood before Roy uh, got on The Daily Show, and I forget the name. It was like a bar-based sitcom. So he was doing that with Roy for a while. Um, but, but really, great comic, uh, very entertaining. Um, I think he even bought pizza for the staff the one time I was there, which I thought was a nice gesture. You know, you don't have to do that shit. You but. don't realize how, uh, how cheap some of these guys are. Oh, God, yeah. For those who know what it's like to be on the road and what little amount of money starving comedians make yeah, you don't make unless you're a headliner the, you, buying pizza for everybody could t- that might be your pay for the night but oh uh, it, i mean it, or it would be it could be yeah like, it could be on a slow on a slow night if you're or if you're just the cook working hourly for a few hours you know you're, not, you're gonna pay eight bucks an hour working at, right. at a place like that well i've definitely uh, I, i've seen him twice and uh jamie kennedy's gonna be coming up there soon yeah, he probably is he yeah. comes back a lot he comes through side splitters quite often that's who I'm looking forward to seeing. April Macy was the first comic I ever had a paid gig with. And I love April. She's great. She is easy, yeah. easy on the eyes too. I'm, I'm not. I, I definitely didn't complain when they yeah, paid I, me. With I, her. I, I am. Uh, I, I'm. I, though I was uh, dated a redhead for three years and was married to one for five. Uh, redheads are normally not my thing, but she got my attention. It was funny as hell April's too, which only made her that much hotter. She's great. She she's done. Uh, she's appeared on Howard. She's been uh, on a, like the Snoop Dogg comedy tour, and uh, she's a good person. Like she's just a cool person. You know, she's someone who is um, just sort of a like a thoughtful and just there. You know, there's people who who have a different gear, I guess of it's not just I want to be famous just me 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 she's just like a, a caring person she's she's got that streak in her that I, I've seen from having worked with her and seen it off stage so I really like April and I'm glad to see that she is still touring and doing well looking great uh, she looks happy and healthy from what I've seen on her uh, social media so I'm looking forward to her coming back and, and it's just a month away yeah so that that should sell out well, she's uh, she's definitely healthy as far as I'm concerned <laughs> Yes. So, yep. Yeah, so uh, come see Steve Byrne this week if you're looking to uh, get out, see some live comedy. It's uh, it's so much more fun. Can, can you pick your seats there? As high you can put that in your little commercial. You can actually. You don't want to sit seats. up front because you're pussy. And some people do, yeah. and they are, and that's okay. And not every comic will pick on you anyway. But I, I'm I okay with sitting up front. Yeah. I was okay with sitting up front except one time. Ask me when that was. When when was that one time? Had to do with my good friend Mark Burgess. Um, interesting uh, story about Mark. Mark's uh, wife Robin was having a uh, 40th birthday, and they were going to do a 40th birthday cruise. And everybody for that whole year, we're coming, we're coming, we're going, we're going, we're going, Mark and Robin, we're going, absolutely we're going. 10, 12 people, looked like it could be 16 people going on this cruise. The week of the cruise came up in February of uh, that particular year, and come to find out, it was Mark and Robin, me and my wife, and drumroll please, my ex-girlfriend and her mother. Oh, wow. 
There's a, there's there's like the premise of a sitcom. Thank you very much. The cruisers. Please come to take two. <laughs> so so of course I have a good relationship with my ex. Well, that's good. That I only met her mother one time before that. Kind of crazy redhead, stereotypical. Remind me a little bit of the of the mother-in-law of Daphne in Frasier. Kind of this psychotic redhead, crazy woman. Mm-hmm. Now. What ended up happening was, if we were all there, we're all sitting there, and it was—it's weird being there with your wife and your ex that you had a long-term relationship with, kind of across the table. But everybody was cool about it. Of course, let's go to the comedy show. There was no way we were going to sit anywhere near the front where the comedian was going to go. Okay, you guys married? Right. What's what's you guys all? What, what do you guys? Uh-huh. Do? And then because because she actually would have said, "I'm his ex." I mean, it right. would have been, and then that would have been the entire theme of the cruise. And I know on a cruise ship that would have been gold for a comic because they're looking for some new ways to engage the audience instead of just telling. Yeah, all all, all, all you would have had to do was look at us. Okay, so you're that's your wife and that's your ex and that would have been your mother-in-law, and. Okay. Uh, Enough said. Fill in joke yeah. here. Like you can, you can really exactly. You can use that as a starting point and kind of just ride the whole One situation. Question. Adjoining cabins. Right. You know, I mean, I I could just picture that. You so can imagine how many places to go. So he was probably just thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> to see you guys sitting there, <laughs> and uh, if he found out the relationship statuses, that that, that that was the only time I would never have wanted to set up front. All right. Well, we're going to talk about Rushmore's uh, top four. Who would be who would be carved or what event would be carved on the Mount Rushmore of United States Olympic moments. Have you watched any of the Olympics this year? I have not I watched did. any. And I actually get Peacock and we subscribe to it because we just don't want any ads and we watch a lot can of content. Can you say content, Peacock on the radio, Paul? Uh, you can say that there's just the last part of it. Cut out the P part and then, then I think, oh wait, no, it's the other way around. That's that's what it is. Like, Something like this that. This is my Peacock. Thank Short you. and stout, this whatever. Yeah, this is my so, handle. Um, we will watch. Uh, my wife and I. She was a competitive gymnast growing up and taught gymnastics oh, for that's many right. years. Yeah, so she's so uh, we will watch the uh, the highlights of the United States Olympic team. Uh, usually, uh, women's gymnastics. Out of my watching because the girls are pretty. Um, and uh, but what's your story? What, what's your feeling about the Simone Biles? Uh, you, you know, so what? What is this controversy that I'm hearing? Because I, I understand, and this is—it's strange that I'm not keeping up because I normally do, but I, I just this year I haven't been. So, biggest story now: Simone Biles. Explain it like I don't know what's going okay. on because now I can be shocked by it all. Greatest Olympic gymnast, female Olympic gymnast of all time. Yeah, maybe better than Mary Lou Retton. Tom Brady-esque kind of statistics. Mm-hmm. She's 24 years old. That, that's as much as I know about her. Is that her, her being 24 in the Olympics is like Tom Brady playing at 44. Yes. Yeah. So the, the the greatest female gymnast of all time, right before the compulsories in the women's team competition in Tokyo, she withdrew said she got something called the twisties which my wife explained to me is when you're doing your routine that you've been doing all your life and you've been perfecting it for the olympics you jump up in the air and suddenly you lose track when you're in the air am i in the middle of a twist do i twist do i inward am i landing and she was really in her own head the best way to explain it just kind of like like you yeah ruminating about it so she withdrew from the team so they had to put the alternate in okay um, and she claimed it was due to her mental health. She was a mess psychologically, mentally, and that she withdrew to protect and save her mental health. That is about as much as I heard. I have not heard kind of if there's a real story coming out now. So now, am I a liberal? 
or am I conservative? No, you're you're liberal. People say I'm liberal. More, well, I mean, you that know. was the whole thing a couple weeks ago with my with my uh, diatribe. Um, in this in this case, um, I want to preface it by saying I believe Simone Biles is the best female gymnast ever, and that I have ever seen on on TV. Uh, my daughter was in competitive gymnastics. I understand how difficult it it is. And, and Levada knows she can speak from experience, so she knows if something's difficult. Yes, like. I, I tell people all the time: if you think gymnastics is easy, just do a flip and land on a two by four on its end. Mm-hmm. Do that for me. Then you know what you're talking about. I don't about. know. Too many people. They make it look easy. That's now, for sure. I, I didn't compete in gymnastics in high school. I was part of a gymnastics team, a male gymnastics team. Uh, I, I did good on the floor exercise and the vault. Did you like pommel uh, horse and stuff? Uh, or? Yeah, pommel horse, absolutely. And uh, the rings. Rings was my rings, best event. I rings. had a lot of good upper it's body strength. strength. yeah. So she withdrew. And people have, uh, all of the liberals have gone to social media. Oh my God, I found this girl and all she's been through. She has. Okay, whatever. My feelings are this. My feelings, mine, these do not reflect Lighter Side of Dark podcast. It's merely my feelings. Um, you're competing in what's going to be your final Olympics. You've competed in two others previous to this. Mm-hmm. You're the best in the world. You're damn good at what you do. You knew you were coming to Tokyo. To withdraw on your team, I don't agree with. Mm. If she chose to withdraw from the individual competition because she individually didn't feel like she was going to do well, that's one mm-hmm. thing. But she withdrew from the team. Yeah. She, in, in my opinion, my opinion only, let the team down. Hmm. If you and I are on a baseball team and the bases are loaded, we're down by three runs, it's the bottom of the ninth, and it's your turn to bat. What do you do, Paul? You grab the bat and you step out there. I lick my chops and I wait for a fastball. And you take your swings. And if you strike out, I ain't mad at you because I've struck out before too. Sure. Um, the best hitters in the world strike out a hundred times yeah, a year. Yeah. So I don't agree with that. I, I don't think it's a controversy as much mm-hmm. of, okay, so she withdrew. Move on. Yeah. But but quit acting like her life is so horrible. The young girl had a rough upbringing. Rough. Not the worst I've ever seen. Yeah. Her mother sacrificed a lot and kind of gave her to this gymnastics camp to make her what she is. Right. She's done wonderful things for America. But you don't quit on your team. Yeah. That's my theory. Now I want just to kind of play devil's advocate here because I I agree with the whole. You mean uh, advocatus uh, diabla? That's an actual devil's real ad- job at the Vatican. Really? Yes, it's called advocatus diabla. Avocado the dev- toast diabla. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, devil, the devil's advocate. When someone is put up for sainthood, uh-huh. the devil's advocate has to argue against them. Wow! Not make that. So up. that's where the term comes advocatus from. Advocatus diabla. Here I go arguing for the devil, I guess. Um, I'm just wondering if, if, you know, if we don't know any more details, if it's kind of being left purposely vague, maybe she's embarrassed, maybe, she, um, if maybe she really feels genuinely like she would be a liability to the team. I, and I and I understand that. I put in a post on Facebook about that. Would I rather have Simone Biles at seventy five percent or? Jane Doe at 100. My thought is she's afraid she's going to fall like and, and, and be 0%. That's, that's just the only thing I can imagine for a competitor if she's not being threatened, if she's not being, you know, if there's not some sort of blackmail going on here that we don't know about, 
if it is truly where uh, maybe she reached a breaking point, maybe three Olympics is too much. Maybe. And by the way, it's it's all cool. Yeah. My, my opinion is merely that. Sure, sure. It, We're it just trying to get to the root of it. It doesn't really. cast dispersions on her as a person. I, I would love the opportunity to meet her and shake her hand. I think she's a wonderful talent. Yeah, I understand what you're saying because I, I'm a big person. I'm a big team guy in that don't give up on your team. My, my worry as an outsider or my thought as an outsider is she probably has that mentality. But, again, if I'm, if I'm an ace pitcher, which I definitely am not, never was, but if I have a uh, shoulder issue that's affecting my mechanics and I know I don't have it, and they want to throw me out there because they don't know I'm hiding it. I'm a competitor. I'm not going to be a coach. I don't want to play. According to her exact quote, this is an emotional, mental health issue. Which, by the way, mental health is very, very important, crucial. It definitely is. So she chose to withdraw. I just don't think it was the best idea to to choose to withdraw after going to Tokyo. Right. And being there, don't go. You want to see them kind of psych themselves past that point already. Give an example. Do you think I like Andrew Luck? the former quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. I think you liked him when he was your fantasy quarterback. Probably. Yeah, you know what? I really did. Do you know when I stopped liking him? The day he retired, three and a half weeks into the preseason of 2019. You're in a keeper league. The That's day to clarify. before my fantasy keeper league draft, Ugh. he basically fucked me. If you're going to retire, Andrew, you retire in the offseason, yeah. allow the Colts to draft a quarterback, yeah. or you retire right before training camp yeah. so they can bring somebody and you don't retire the day before yeah. my fantasy draft. Simone, I wish, in my opinion, you hadn't yeah. done that to the team. It's And that's it. You know, maybe she... she I'd love to, I'd love to hear... Uh, maybe when the when the smoke clears a little bit, her side and just want to hear her explain it. Well, I think she's put her side out there. She I'm still I'm still entitled to my opinion after hearing her side. Yeah, yeah. You sit down with the team and go, listen, I'm not in in the best of shape, yeah. but I'm going to get out there and do my best for America. Right. And maybe maybe she ends up being the biggest success story of all time. Well, wins the gold. And you know, I and think we we'll never know. Some now. of the moments we're going to talk about might be the opposite of of what this is. So so. All right. Number the number one I think that has to be carved on the Mount Rushmore of greatest United States Olympic moments is, do you believe in miracles? Yes. 1980. United States hockey team. U.S. hockey team. Al Michaels, a legendary call. There are so many reasons why this was uh, absolutely unbelievable. They were not even supposed to make it to the medal round. Yeah. If you're not aware, most people are aware the, the USA, the Team USA upset the Russians, USSR, in 1980 to go on to the gold medal game, and they did eventually win it. What some people they may not know, Finland, they beat Finland, people. yes, no, which they were underdogs in that game as well. They think that they beat the Russians for the gold medal, which was absolutely mm-hmm. not true. Essentially they did, but you know, with the team, the, the reason this was such a thing is all of the American players were amateurs. All of them, meaning not professionals, young, you know, under a certain age. Many of them, in fact, most of them, did not go on to do anything in the NHL. A couple of them did. Mark Pavlich played a few good years with the Rangers. A few of them did, but by and large, that was a team of nothings. Jim. Uh, Jim Craig. Yeah, Jim Craig, the goalie, mm-hmm. also I think went on for a couple years. A little in bit. The NHL. No one was. No one had a Hall of Fame career from that team, uh, or even a, a great career. The team they played, the Russian team, was the best of the best of their... They were a powerhouse. They were old veteran professionals. They were a machine. If it was if it was open at that point for Russians to come play in the NHL, every one of them 
would have played in the NHL. That would have been the best team in the NHL had they come over. They they could beat NHL teams by themselves. So that's just to set the stage. You had this, and the, the way they practiced, you know, the Russian machine, that kind of, that was the mentality. It was that sort of emotionless, you're, you're, you're a machine. You, you just go out Ivan, there and win. Ivan Drago from it was kinda, I will break you. You could see where the Drago character came from. It was sort of that USSR mentality or, or what they, they were. Gave or off. is that guy from a few weeks ago? You are not case. Not case. Remember, yes. he says, you are not case. You are not case. You're liberal, crazy person, <laughs> not case. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the, the Do You Believe in Miracles 1980 U.S. hockey team. Absolutely. I mean, on there. When he had the entire team stand on the gold medal platform, it, it was wasn't, just, wasn't just Mike Ruzzioni, the captain. He right. brought the whole team up. I mean, it, it, this was this, these were kids beating professional hockey players uh, that were the best in the world at what they did. I will never get over how that happened. You play that game 100 times out of 100, they went 100 times, the Russian team. And somehow it didn't. That's Miracle on Ice is very aptly named, I think. So, uh, can't right, who, not who do you, who, do, who do you have... Uh, as number two on the list. I'm going to go uh, with, um, you know what, let's go, I'm saving one because it was uh, the historical aspect of it all, but back in the uh, 96 Olympics, with the, we just were talking about gymnastics, here's an, uh, maybe an, an example of something that was the opposite. Uh, Kerry Strug, as you may remember, and uh, Bella Lugosi, the coach, God knows what the thing, what other things he said to them over the years, I almost don't want to know. But at the time, you know, you may remember Kerry uh, was part of the U.S. team, the gymnastics team, and she had a spill and injured her ankle very, very badly to the yep. point where she was limping, crying, couldn't even move. Yep. Great deal of pain. Great deal of pain. <laughs> and somehow, again, if you want to talk about miracles, Bella Lugosi just comes over. You can do it. You just. She just kind of was like, okay. And she, she nodded. She nodded to the She's judges. Like, yeah, the ju- and like, then, good. like everybody in the whole arena was standing and applauding, and she uh, ran and did her first vault pass, and I believe it was a, a, a double back with two twists. Lands the landing, sticks the landing, and then kind of lifts up her left foot, kind of like uh, Ralph Macchio in Karate Kid. Just remembered. Oh, I forgot. I don't have a foot. Ow. And uh, and ended up winning the. I mean, she ran. She ran down to the platform, jumped, sprung, and landed on that foot. That was, and she like, I can't think of a, a bigger warrior type of story. And it, she was this little four foot eight gymnast, just unbelievable. I'll, I'll never forget that moment. Like everybody just had to have their jaws open when it happened. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of people saw it live because the Olympics were, you know, they were, it was on regular network television. There was no, you know, distractions and it was a big thing. I would, uh, I would say that's definitely a moment that people remember. Um, I don't want to take away one from you. So give me the initials of the one you were holding on to. Uh, J-O. Okay. Right. But well, you can, I'll, I'll let you have that one. Yeah. I'll let you have that one. Um, I've got um, the 1992 basketball okay. dream team. That was the one that I was considering also. I was yeah. trying to think of a definitive moment, but that was so, maybe because of the, the, the contrast in talent. I mean, it's almost like the domination. The overdog. <laughs> not the underdog. Absolutely domination. You can't not and they were called the dream team for a reason they were literally the 
best nine basketball players at that time on the planet. And when you know Jordan was not really he was he was I'd say he was at the peak of his career at that point, probably early nineties during the short years, years where they were always beating the Pistons. That the was the midst of their you know three peat and yeah, absolutely. But yeah, they they won every game they played in the Olympics by forty points or more average, which means they beat some teams by 55 points. I'll, I don't remember the exact score, but I'll never forget. I think Angola was their first opponent. And I am i don't know if it was like a 60 or 70 point drubbing, but it was it was like the, 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 the weird part about it is uh, uh, Bird and Reggie Miller were they were coming basically coming up the court and they would kind of look over and uh, the coach from Georgetown was the coach at that uh, okay. I, I, John his name escapes yeah, me too. Um, uh, a wonderful uh, college basketball coach, and he would—he was like, "Okay, lay, lay low. Don't let's not run up the score too much." So Bird and Miller just started bumping threes, and turns out they were shooting seventy-five percent from the field. Yeah, they're probably just trying to keep the game going, take a shot. Okay, bounces out. Yeah, yeah. That was and defensively, they had something like twenty-five blocks, which in an in an NBA game. The average is three blocks yeah. a game. David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, right yeah. off the bat. Who you gonna? You're not gonna shoot over those two guys. Yeah. No, no one at that height could possibly. And and Jordan was playing defense at the time. Jordan plays great. Was always playing great and, defense. And, and and the thing is, they wanted to basically show because the Russians always played us tough in basketball. Yeah, they were the equivalent of the best basketball players in the entire country yeah. and remember that the, the metal incident with the walk-off and, the, and that whole controversy so there's definitely a history there with the Russians. I was always okay with the Olympics becoming a professional event because other countries professionals right were, were playing for them that was kind of a thing we maybe held a standard to I know yeah. and then they did for a while with hockey players and then they kind of pulled back now they're talking about it so they, they keep going back and forth with it but we would dominate so many sports if Probab- we pros, probably yeah. not soccer. No, we'll but get th- we'll get good at soccer eventually. It's finally becoming popular here. It's going to take like like hockey took twenty five thirty years. I would rather watch the WNBA than soccer. <laughs> I think it's the I think the younger generation watches it more though than than they are. I don't know, man. People people talk about soccer was going to take over this country, and it was, but and they say, well, it's going to have to happen when people start putting their kids in soccer and kids grow up for an entire uh, generation. Yeah. My son grew up with soccer. I My did kids too. Kids grew up with soccer, and it's just I don't see people flooding out to see the Tampa Bay Rowdies. No, I, I don't. I, I I just seem to see if I see soccer fans, they appear to be very young. So I don't know any soccer fans my age. Well, one of my friends is a big soccer fan, but he's Italian, so that's you know he's that's a culture thing. But my American friends, I don't know any of them who like soccer. It's just not a real. Interesting. All right, so tell me about uh, good old Mr. Jesse Owens. Yeah, Jesse Owens. You can't leave off the, uh, the the one that had some historical implications as well and, and political implications. But uh, back in the old 30s, I think it was 34. 36. 36. 36 Olympics, thank you. Um, Jesse Owens, who was, you know, black, African-American, had his own bathroom, had his own, you know, ostracized, um, was, you know... Uh, Went, basically went out and proved to Hitler that, you know, your Aryan superiority theory is bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. 
um, in not so many words, but by winning and breaking records and, and just but dominating and dominating. absolutely dominating is really the only he, way to play. He it. dominated the men's track and field the way the dream team dominated yes. basketball at ninety. Single hand, like, like uh, from an individual point of view, he was that dominant in that Olympics. Broke five or six world records in uh-huh. track and field, including the long jump, the triple jump, um, 100, 200, yeah. 400 meters. Um, yeah, just completely dominated. And I think the historical, the historical significance of all that, you know, especially with what Germany was doing at the time and just the, the, the overall feeling, it was such an important win. It was like we dominated them, and that was supposedly the big bad Germans' claim to fame is they're physically and, and, and mentally superior in every way. That was the first um, worldwide TV broadcast. And that's was another the, reason the why Olympics. it was so, so Hitler significant. wanted to make sure that it was being broadcast mm-hmm. out to where TVs could pick it up from all over Europe and, and, then, uh, and then so on with uh, uh, other additional services through the United States and so on yep. to show their, their techno- technological superiority. That's that another point. good point. And, and meanwhile, after all of that, Jesse Owens said that Hitler treated him better than his own country. He was never invited to the White House. Even Hitler shook his hand. Uh-huh. I, I was amazed to learn that. The movie entitled Jesse was uh, was a great movie. Uh. Talked about uh, the, some. Uh, there was a German uh, athlete who uh, actually roomed with Jesse Owens uh, during that time, yeah. and they trained together and worked together, and and he helped uh, this guy improve a great deal on his. Uh, his track and field prowess, yeah. especially in the long jump and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, there's, there was a great story about uh, about Jesse Owens, no doubt about it's that. It's amazing. He he was good enough to be a source of pride for the entire country, but he wasn't good enough to have his own bathroom or to be in, invited to the White oh, House. Amer- America's ha- Americans and America has always had its history with uh, with racism. Absolutely. Even though you know when you talk to people on the right, well, there's reverse racism going oh, on shut right up. now. Okay, stop. There's just assholes and bad people everywhere. I mean, there yeah. were there were um, servicemen, black servicemen, who came home uh, from World War One. You know, probably and probably they, spit on. And they were lynched as they were taken off the train <laughs> in their army fatigues. Unfucking believable. On the same train with white servicemen. Who are being who you know. were welcomed? I mean, so when when people say, um, "Oh, well, they they made a a, a blow up uh, of Donald Trump like a baby," that's disrespectful. Except for the fact that they had lunchings of Obama on church lawns, right. church lawns, mind you. And so, Trump is a big fucking baby, so yeah. it's accurate. Yeah, it's actually pretty, <laughs> actually I think it was actual size. Yeah, uh, when you look at it, so, I got one more thing I want to I want to mention. Yeah, I sure. don't necessarily think that it it is one single moment, um, but Ali at the sixty Olympics, okay, dominated heavyweight boxing, uh, in a similar manner. Just just went right through the the yeah. tournament and won the gold. And I might have been one hundred and seventy one pounds. That was the that was a heavyweight back then. Was you know buck sure. set, buck seventy. And so and then to be to lose his title later on in the 60s and into the early 70s and to come back and be the, the greatest boxer of all time. Oh, yeah. he, he's the Michael Jordan of boxing. Michael Jordan is the Muhammad Ali of basketball, whatever you want to say. And then in 96, the Atlanta Olympics brought him back and he was the one that lit the torch. I remember that. Standing there, trembling, 
with with his Parkinson's. Yeah. What a moment! And, and yeah. to me, I remember that moment. Definitely, we I do too. We were watching the uh, the opening ceremonies, and and this 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 person's running up there with the torch, and you see the silhouette of someone standing to the left of it, and you're like, "Who is it? Who's going to light the torch? Is it going to be Greg Luganis? Is it going to be uh, Ted Turner? Because Atlanta Games? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be you know uh, some?" And all of a sudden. The spotlight hit Ali, and he's standing there just just shaking, trying his best to hold that as stable as he could. Mm-hmm. And then he touched the side, and the fire went up the side and lit the torch. Yeah. And and everybody in the Atlanta Stadium was just in tears and cheering yeah. and so on. What a great moment that was for Ali. And the contrast of him, even though he was in a weakened state, and they're kind of, you know, he's in the wheelchair, but he, he lights it, and the flame is like this gigantic flame, and it's more symbolic of... of how who he was and his impact. It yeah, thirty four years later, right. they use him to uh, to light the torch. I think that was a nice moment. Definitely. Definitely a nice moment. Yeah. So yeah, I think the hockey team, Jesse Owens for sure, Dream Team ninety two, and the 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 yeah, Kerry Shroud. Now you you could say Mark Spitz winning. That's the nine thing we have. Medals. We have feats that aren't individual moments, but you got, you know, Michael Phelps. I mean, he's got so many gold medals, he can't wear them all at the same time or he's probably break his neck. Yeah. So those... Well, Spitz, Spitz won nine in one Olympics. Right. And actually set uh, like eight world records out of the yep. nine that nine gold medals. He won eight world records out of nine gold medals. That's, that's, a, that's a feat. You know, so... I, I guess it is. I guess you could say, well, we'll include that moment. Uh, we, we sort I of focused on moments, I was still about Kerry Shrug, though. Yeah. I was still about Kerry Shrug. It's, you know, as much of an incredible display of athleticism and, and, and superiority that is, the Kerry Shrug has the story and, and the overcoming the odds thing. And, and, and there might be some people in Romania who would argue that Nadia Comaneci's first perfect ten. Yeah, not I mean, American. Not American, but Sorry, certainly not, not America. Certainly, uh, a source I don't like nobody. I can't spell her name without <laughs> a lot of consonants. Yeah. That's how you know someone was talented. If you you know a person's name who was a Romanian gymnast from the seventies uh, yeah. and eighties, I, I will tell you right now that that uh, all gymnastics made a horrible mistake. I believe it was four years ago. Might have been might have been six years ago when they eliminated the uh, conventional scoring system of a perfect 10. Okay, I wasn't aware that they made some... Yep, now it's the the vault that you're going to do, it's degree of difficulty, multi- it. multiplied by pi, I don't know, some crazy bullshit, and now it's like, okay, um, Simone Biles is about to do the bar routine, the highest combined score she can get here is a 13.7125.06. Okay. So this is their way of trying to not like make it seem rigged, I guess? I, I guess. Like, well, I just give her a 10 because I thought it was good. I, I, I also, I will tell you right now, I've never understood the scoring in bowling. Yeah. I'm 58 years old. I've never understood the I, scoring. I, well, I'm fortunate enough to have mostly been able to have auto-scoring with the, with the screens. Yeah, my dad always did the scoring in the 70s. And when there you go. Did. Yeah, that, like, that'll take like, care Okay, of it. well, you'll get half of your last uh, ball if you score a spare on this one. I huh? know. I know. And, and a perfect score in bowling at 10 frames at, should be 130 because that's how many times you get a chance you to roll the ball. You get 13 strikes, essentially. Yeah. Yet, yeah. because of the multiplication factor. 300. 300. Never, never quite understanding that. I, I, I can't either. That's, maybe that's why they went to auto like And well. I want to make uh, a thing right now that if diving was actually a United States Olympic sport. 
Diving would be the opposite. It'd be like cannonballs. The higher score by the bigger splash. That's how it should be. Yep. Because you got these people. This Chinese girl yesterday, I happened to be at Ferg's uh, in St. Pete yesterday. And diving happened to be on. So we're watching these 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 children. These girls are, you know, she, yeah, she she's Chinese and she's supposedly 18. I know, and they look 12. Yeah, she's like 11. Uh, she's built like a two by four. Of course, yeah. she's not going to make a splash. Right. If you drive. And she would and she would hit the water, and you'd see this teeny weeny little splash, like a, like a droplet. I, said, I felt like saying, "Did she get wet?" <laughs> I know. In America, it would be cannonballs. Yeah, they were literally. We would dominate. We would dominate, man. Absolutely. Dominate. Let's get Team Walmart down on down here. Get hey, man, get, get, get out of here. Brought <laughs> to you by Walmart and Speedo. <laughs> That is the caveat. They have to wear a Speedo. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a good show. This is season four, episode, I think, nine. Are we I up to so. nine? I think so. Uh, who, who really cares at this yeah. point? I was, I'm was. i so upset because of the, the loss of a dear friend that I may not have kept uh, track of that. But I want to um, say a thank you to everybody who was nice enough to indulge a lot of personal stuff in this particular podcast. I know our podcasts are primarily personal feelings and opinions. That's but, true. But, but losing... Uh, Losing Mark Burgess uh, of Orlando was uh, just a big, giant kick in the uh, stomach yeah. for me, and uh, and and for Solio as well. I know uh, Paul. Knows uh, Mark was a great. I, I obviously would, was not nearly as close to you, but I, I loved Mark. He was a great guy. I, I, I've known him for ten years. And uh, and COVID has taken another one. For those of you who ever say, "Well, I don't know anybody," well, now you do. Yeah. Now you know somebody who uh, who was taken from us. So. Well, next week, we will do uh, our and the, will be Bruce Springsteen and, and the E Street e Band. Street Band. And um, I have a suggestion, possibly, for for, our, for, for, no. ne- for next week's um, for the Rushmore. Rushmore, will be um, NFL busts. Ooh. Players who oh, were busts I like that category. Yeah, that's a fun one. Absolute busts. Because the NFL... Uh, training camps are going on right now the yeah. uh the preseason's going on you've got a lot of speculation so biggest nfl bust that's a fun time. debate because there's there's a few that are really have some fun stories or some were very shocking and then so yeah let's do that all right sounds good well uh paul it's been a pleasure uh, working with me it has hasn't it and everybody uh please stay safe if you feel compelled to wear a mask again nobody here is going to be mad at you uh please if you haven't gotten vaccinated Go get vaccinated in private and don't tell anybody. Yeah. And then you can go right on Facebook and to continue to be an anti-vaxxer. And we can get back to normal quicker. We just want to get... We just want to live our lives. We just want to be normal. We just want to get back to normal again. All right, everybody, stay safe. We will uh, see you next week. See you guys. Side of the Dark podcast is a brainchild of DJs Rob Smith and Paul Solio, a weekly podcast recorded in the famed DJ School Studios in Spring Hill, Florida. Original music provided by Seth Brooke and a local Tampa band called Utska. Announcer Dave Anthony. Nothing in the podcast is meant to be taken seriously. 
for entertainment purposes only. Written and produced by both Rob Smith and Paul Solio. Divisions of RSP Events and Entertainment and Solio Entertainment. Edited by Rob Smith. Written by Paul Solio. Hey everybody, Rob Smith here from The Lighter Side of Dark. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your busy day to listen to one of our podcasts. Don't be afraid to go back in the archives and start at the beginning. Season 1, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, but first of all, thanks for being a listener. We do appreciate it.